Harmony Church, if you'll stand and worship with us this morning.
us in prayer this morning, whether you want to come down to the altar or stay in your seat. pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather this morning with your people in this place to sing your praise, to hear your word proclaimed, to give you an offering. Because Heavenly Father, we realize this morning that that it is all about you. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You, you alone are worthy of all our glory and honor and praise. And so it is our, our humble prayer this morning. God, that you would hear us as we pray. That you would hear us as we sing that you would receive our offering, that you would be pleased as your word is proclaimed. God, we know that our hope is in you and you alone. God, we ask that you would, you would remind us of that frequently. You would help us to be dependent upon you. You would give us encouragement when we are in despair. that, God, we would know you more. I pray that when we leave this place, that we would leave as your witnesses to a world that is lost and dying, a world that has no hope, that we would be obedient to your call to go and make disciples. Heavenly Father, we, we ask that you would be with those this morning in our midst who are sick, those who have had difficult weeks and God, those who have lost loved ones, that you would give comfort and healing. God, we know that you are good. We rest and rejoice in that goodness this morning. God, I pray that, that you would guide our nation. God, I think our great fear is that there would be much unrest even in the coming days. But God, we know that you're in control. And so we pray, God, that you would bring about healing. That you would remove division. And that, God, you would help each person to see that, that the things we do now are temporary, but our hope is in eternity. And so, God, I pray that you would be with those who lead us, those who you have put in positions of power, God, help them to be good stewards of that. God, help our church. God, help us to be a light in a world of darkness, in a world that is hurting. And God, I pray that you would use us to reach people for your kingdom. God, guide our hearts as we worship this morning. Let us worship in spirit and in truth. And let us do it in the name of the, of the one who is above every name, the name at the sound of which every 
knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We pray this morning in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Church, will you stand with us as we sing this last song? Father, we thank you so much for this morning, for the weather that we've had with the rain. Father, you've sought, you saw us through the storms. Father, I pray that 
you will continue to help us to open our eyes and open our minds and our hearts to what you have to tell us this morning. God, I pray that you will impress this message upon our hearts, Lord, that we will apply it to our lives, Lord. Help us to find the compassion and the passion for your word and for others around us, Lord. I pray for Pastor Michael as he brings the word, that your hand will be upon him, Lord. I pray that your power will be upon us, Lord. I pray that your spirit will be here with us in this place, Lord, moving our hearts to do what you have called us to do. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Good morning. I want to invite you to turn with your, me in your Bible to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. I want to thank everyone who came out for the, uh, the trunk or treat. Uh, we had trunk or treat during a tropical storm warning, um, so that's a first. You know, that's what 2020 is all about, firsts. Hopefully, for many of those things, also lasts. Um, because who thinks about having trunk or treat at the end of October and there being some type of um, tropical storm in the foothills of North Carolina, but that's where we were, and uh, I hope that all of you uh, made it through the storm unscathed or mostly unscathed, and we do know that we had uh, friends and neighbors that had damage, um, and the cleanup for that uh, is ongoing, um, and certainly uh, it could have been much worse. I believe at one point they were expecting the storm to move through much slower than it did, uh, which would have obviously um, caused greater damage, and so uh, we have that to be thankful for. Acts chapter 3. I'm going to read for us this morning uh, the entirety of the chapter, but I still invite you, if you're able this morning, to stand with me as we read God's Word together. Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says this, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. 
And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over to over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed this author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man, has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer and thus he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall be the families of the earth blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. You may be seated. In Acts chapter 1, we saw the last moments of Jesus on earth before he ascended to the Father. And before he did, he commissioned his disciples that they were going to go to Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. They were going to go everywhere proclaiming this message about God. And then Christ ascended into heaven and his disciples began their mission to go and proclaim this message. From there, we see in Acts chapter 2 the, the coming of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit transforms the ministry and the work of the disciples. They, they proclaim the gospel boldly. They proclaim the message of Jesus boldly. They proclaim that men and women, boys and girls, must turn from their sin and believe on what Jesus has done. They proclaim that to, to people who are gathered from all over the world, and they proclaim it, and the people are able to understand it in their own language. Because of the gift of the Spirit, they're able to, to see and witness everything that is happening, to hear Peter and James and John proclaiming this message, to hear all of the disciples proclaiming this message before them. And we're told that on that day, thousands come to know Christ. 
And then on that day, they have all things in common. On that day, they're gathered together and they share in everything. They sell their possessions and no one has a need. And then we come to Acts chapter 3. We've had the commissioning of them to go. We've had the proclamation that has saved so many of these people. And then we see this faith lived out and demonstrated. This true faith demonstrated to the people who are watching. True faith demonstrated in the life of this lame beggar who has come to this gate to ask if someone would give him some money so that he could have something to eat. It was such a regular occurrence that the people who were coming to the temple, they knew. They knew this man. They knew why he was there. They knew his purpose. They knew that his need was legitimate. And no doubt many of them had helped him at various points. This morning, I want us to think about this faith that is shown and demonstrated by John and by Peter as they are going to the temple to worship. This faith that you and I have, this faith where they give this man so much more than he asked for. They gave him something that would transform his life. What do we know about this faith? Let's pick up in verse 1, verses 1 through 8. We see that demonstrated faith gives the best to those in need. Demonstrated faith gives the best to those in need. You notice there's an action word with faith. Now, I would argue that we don't need this action word, or at least we should not need this action word, because faith in and of itself is a word of action. But... Because we live in a time where faith has become to some such a a personal and inner thing that it doesn't need to be demonstrated, which is problematic. We'll use the term demonstrated faith. What happens? Peter and John, they're going to the temple at the hour of prayer. They're going there and as they pass by, a man is there beside the gate. He has been brought there and is no doubt brought there often so that he can beg for money. There is no system to help him. There is no government assistance to take care of his needs. He lives off of whatever he collects there. He lives off of the generosity of others. His job, if you will, was to go beside the temple at the gate called Beautiful and to beg for his living. And they brought him there often. This man, lame from birth, we're told in verse 2. They laid daily at the gate so that he could collect money. As Peter and John are walking by, this man reaches out. And we get the sense that there is almost an embarrassment to what he is doing. He asks to receive alms and they direct his gaze at him. What does that mean? That he's not even looking at them. He doesn't even want to engage them as he's asking We almost get the sense that he's looking away as he's holding up whatever it is that he's requesting to receive a gift into. But they say, look at us. They they turn his attention to them, and they say something that no doubt had to be disheartening to start with. Silver and gold, I have none of that. I have no silver and gold. If you're the man, that's the whole thing you've been asking for, right? Right? Because that's how you eat. That's how you have something to pay for your daily needs. 
He says, but I do have something. What I do have, I give to you. You notice here, it's not the faith of this man that heals him. He, he doesn't, there's been no interaction so far for him to have faith. The faith that ultimately ha, is given to him is what? What I have, this is what Peter says, what I have, I give to you. What did Peter have? He had faith in Jesus. And he demonstrated that faith by giving the very best to the man who was in need. And what happens? He took him, so Peter takes him. Peter reaches down, grabs this man by the right hand, and raises him up onto his feet. And when he does, his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up. Now think about this. He's gone from, I'm a beggar, lame, beside the gate, I cannot walk, to leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. John and Peter see this man in his distress, and what they offer to him is the absolute best that they had. And we need to remember this because it would have been much simpler to just giving him some money. For us, we think of that as, as the, the, the kindest thing we could do. Someone is in need, and, and we might even be wise about it. You know, we don't just hand them cash because they're going to go blow it and buy some booze. We'll take them and, and give them some gas, right? Or we'll take them and give them some food. Or uh, the church, we have sometimes went and purchased a, a food line down here. You can purchase a, a gift card, a food gift card, and it says on it that it can't be used uh, to buy alcohol. So we feel a little better about ourselves, right, when we give them that gift card because we know that they've got to spend it on, on food. But when we come to this text and we realize that, that Peter and John, they decide they're going to give him the best. They're not going to give him something inferior. They're not going to give him something that, that is not really the greatest. They're going to give him something that is better than anyone else has ever given him before. And I'm not talking about the ability to walk. Because if they had given him the ability to walk... And never told him how they had the ability to let him walk. If they had never explained to him what he needed to do. Remember, by the time we get to the end of chapter 3, Peter has shared the gospel with the crowd. Who is there? The man who was healed. What they offer him is an opportunity to be reconciled with his creator. They offer him the opportunity to follow Jesus. And that is the greatest gift that they could offer. That is the, the best that they have to offer him. So it's not money in his cup, and it's not even the ability to walk, which obviously radically changes this man's life. Now he doesn't have to beg anymore. Now he can go get a job. Now he can contribute to society. Now he is no longer dependent upon other people. But that is not the best thing that they've done. The best thing that they offer him is how to know Jesus. And friends, we need to make sure that in all of our efforts 
to demonstrate faith around people by giving them good things, that we don't miss the opportunity to give them the best thing. Because that's how we often frame things, right? Either, you know, we, we teach a man, we give a man a fish, rather, and what he eats for a day. Okay, so that would be some money in the cup. And, or we teach a man to fish and he can eat for a lifetime. You know, that's the, the healing he can walk. But the reality is that we're not called to both give a fish or teach to fish. We're, we're called to be fishers of men ourselves and go out and bring people into the kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel. Now, do we do that sometimes by giving them a fish? Sure. By helping meet a, a temporary need? No doubt. We should certainly do that. Jesus does that. He feeds thousands and meets a temporary need. But what does it give him the opportunity to do? Point them toward eternity. And we may even have the opportunity to help someone in a way that will dramatically impact the rest of their life. We help them to maybe get off of, of abusing drugs or we, we help them to, to find a place to work so that they can provide for their family. However that is, we help them in a way that has a lifelong impact. That is good. We should take those opportunities. There are people around us who are in desperate need of that type of life-changing interaction. But that's still not the best thing. Because there will be people who eat for a day and die without knowing Christ. There will be people who we help and they become productive members of society for the rest of their life. And die without knowing Christ. Demonstrated faith. The faith that has been given to us that we demonstrate to the world gives the best to those in need. Not just what is good. And let me promise you that it is much easier. It's much easier to reach in our wallet and find, uh, I can't pull out that bill. This one's okay. The George Washington, we can do this. Here, let me, let me give you a dollar. And we might, if we're really generous, no, I can't do that one. No grants. Mm, everything else is a Washington. If we're really generous, here we go. If we're really generous, we pull out the, uh, the Jackson here. You know, they can buy a lot of booze with the 20, right? I guess. I've never bought alcohol, but I assume. Some of you are laughing, so you know the answer. But guess what? There are people who have, you know... Some of, us, some of you, I shouldn't say some of us, some of you have wallets full of these. We know there's some people in the world that have truckloads full of these. Stacks on stacks on stacks of these. And it says in God we trust on it even. But it doesn't get them to heaven. And so whether we give out one of these or piles of these, whether we help someone earn innumerable numbers of 20s and 50s and 100s, if we withhold from them the best, because it's easier to give them something good, then we're not demonstrating our faith. Some of the, the worst 
pagans in our culture are very charitable. I mean, there's a, there's a pact of billionaires out there who have promised to give away most of their money by the time they die. Wouldn't you hate to be one of their children? Like, dad's got $10 billion, dad's got $100 billion, and he's going to give most of it to poor people. But friends, that charity doesn't get them to heaven. And that charity doesn't get anyone they help to heaven. And ultimately, what we're working toward is, is eternity. What we're looking forward to is eternity. What we care about is eternal life because whether you are the poor child in Africa who starves to death because they have nothing to eat or the wealthiest billionaire who, who closes his eyes with all the, that medical uh, knowledge can provide around him in the cushiest apartment in Manhattan or Los Angeles, friends, if you die without Christ, you still go to the same place. The person who has labored their whole life and dies in their work and doesn't know Christ it's the same eternity. What we need to care about is helping people to know Christ. And if it takes meeting physical needs to do that, we should, very much should do that. But we should not meet temporal needs, physical needs here, and ignore their eternity. And that's exactly what John, uh, John and Peter do. They share with him the good news of Christ. They demonstrate their faith by giving him the best thing. Greater than the ability to walk, greater than the money they could put in his cup. The best things. Second thing we know about this faith that we've been given is that demonstrated faith captures the attention of a faithless world. Demonstrated faith captures the attention of a faithless world. Peter and John knew the end goal. The end goal was to proclaim the gospel. And so when this man is healed, he is up, he is walking and leaping and praising God. And what happens in verse 9? All the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple. It doesn't even say they, they, they saw him leaping. Just the fact that he was walking caught their attention and when he catches their attention because they've seen him day in and day out remember they daily brought him to this gate he had no doubt begged in front of these people for years they daily brought him to the gate and now he is walking and praising God and they recognize him as the one who used to sit there asking for money and they're filled verse uh, end of verse 10 tells us they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him they didn't understand it how could it be that this guy is up and walking around how is it that he's praising God because remember he's not been coming into the temple walking in to praise God he's been sitting outside the gate begging but now he has walked into the temple And he clings, we're told in verse 11. He clung to Peter and John. All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Their demonstrated faith by healing this man has now drawn in the audience that they wanted so that they could share the message of hope. Because they were willing to live out their faith in public knowing that it would be costly. It has already cost Jesus his life. 
we know as we go forward, it will cost many of them their lives. And not only from the book of Acts, but from church history, we know it would cost all of them except John his life. And it's not as if he had a cakewalk. And yet they're willing to demonstrate their faith publicly to the watching world because it would capture the attention of the world that was faithless. All of them now have gathered around, and Peter, as we pick up in a moment in verse 12, would begin to preach. The world has captured their attention. Everything has been, been brought to this moment for them to share this good news. Friends, you realize that when we live as Christ has called us to live, the world will see that because it is so different. The world is constantly complaining about Christians. I'm thinking specifically about our own culture. You know, that we're not with the times and, and we're, we're backward and we're bigoted and whatever the excuses come. And there's new charges all the time because, because the darkness hates the light. And when we're going to be light in the darkness, the, the world can't stand that. Because when you have principles and faith, the world will not accept those because our principles and faith point to the fact that people need a Savior. And if people need a Savior, that means they need something to be saved, or there's some reason they need to be saved. So the world rejects the message that we have. The world's going to continually reject the message that we have because it doesn't want to hear it. The world doesn't want to hear that they need a Savior. We live at a time when nothing is wrong, when there, there are no sins. And so when Christians are going to say, yes, there is sin, there is right and wrong, God has a standard, it's going to be rejected. But when we are firm in our faith, clear in our faith, compassionate in our faith, the world will watch us because it will be unique to everything around us. That's difficult. That's why there are so many denominations who have gone the way of secular society and have embraced secular society. Why? Because it's easier to do that. It's easier to say there is no sin. It's easier to say there are no rules. It's easier to say that God's commands are no longer in force. It's simple to do that. And yet God has stated His word very clearly. And our role, our job, is to demonstrate our faith, to live it out, to be clear about what we believe, to not be wishy-washy, to not continue to change based on the times, but to be consistent. We have a word from God that is 2,000 years old, some of it much older. It doesn't change with the times, and neither can we. And so when we demonstrate our faith, we live it out. When nothing changes us, no matter what's going on, when the circumstances around us does not change our followership of God, when, when what's happening in society, what's happening in Washington, what's happening in Raleigh doesn't change who we are and what we believe, people notice that because they're constantly changing. 
constantly rethinking what they believe, constantly holding on and letting go to things. But we, we have a consistent faith, and when we demonstrate that consistent faith, it will capture the attention of a faithless world because they've never seen anything like it. Think about what's been going on over the last several months, even with this virus. The world's falling apart. It's just madness. I mean, you, th- you think about there are, there are businesses in the capital of our state and the capital of our country that are, that are boarding up their businesses right now because they're afraid they're going to get burned Tuesday night or Wednesday. People are scared. People don't know what information to trust. They don't know what news outlets to trust. They don't know what politicians to listen to. And here we are this morning with an unchangeable word that gives us hope no matter what happens. That tells us if it all burns up, we've got an eternity ahead of us that's so much greater than what we have here. And if it doesn't all burn up, that Christ has left us here to be His ambassadors to a a watching world. And yeah, the world, the world changes on a dime. There could be some news story that's broken since I began that will dramatically shift the whole course of human history until the next one comes out tomorrow. Friends, we stay firm and steady in our faith, continue to demonstrate it and live it out, and know that the world is watching. The world is watching. Demonstrated faith captures the attention of a faithless world. A third thing we see, true faith. So we had two points of demonstrated faith and now two points of true faith. True faith points lost people toward Christ. Go back to verse 10. They recognized him. All the people saw him. They recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and excitement. The man is clinging to Peter and John. And this gives him the opportunity from verse 12. And when Peter saw it, He addressed the people. So he sees that they've gathered together. He sees they've gathered together. and He's not going to pass up this opportunity. Peter is the consummate preacher. You get people together, you want to tell them about Jesus. They gathered together. Peter saw it. He addressed the people. Verse 12, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Now, isn't that interesting that he would start off like that? Where are they at? They're in the temple, right? Who had been in the temple many times before, previous to this, teaching and preaching? Jesus had. I don't know if he's being sarcastic here or not. It comes across a little bit sarcastically. Shouldn't you know what's going on? That's what he's saying. Shouldn't you know? We've been here before. We're not new to this. You've seen this kind of power previously. Why do you wonder at this? But then he gets to the heart of the matter. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead to this 
we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man perfect health in the presence of you all. This would have been a great time for Peter to start his rock star ministry. All right? This would have been the moment to capture everybody look at me. Because they just did something amazing. Everyone is, is shocked and excited and in wonderment of what is going on. And Peter could have stood up and said, everybody follow me. Look what I can do. Look at the ability I have. Look at the power I have. Look at the authority I have. That's exactly what Peter could have done, and that's exactly what he did not do. He points them toward Jesus. He goes to the point of reference. They understand the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. And he says, did what? Glorified Jesus. You delivered him over to be killed, but God has glorified him. You denied the holy and righteous one, but God has glorified him. You killed the author of life, but God has raised him from the dead. And his name, and through his name, and only by his name, was this man healed. It was faith that made this man well. It was faith that made this man strong. In fact, it was faith that has given him perfect health before all of you. I said that Peter was the consummate preacher because he, he pointed people to Jesus, and yet a lot of people, when they draw a crowd, they point people toward themselves. Look at me. Look at what I can do. Look at what I have to offer. Look at how pithy my stories are. Look at how amazing my illustrations are. Look at how great my application points are. Look at me. Look what I can do. Or they accomplish something in the kingdom, for the kingdom, and, and all of a sudden it's, it's look, look, look what I can achieve. Look what I can, can do for you. Look what I have to offer. Friends, this is Peter. This is Peter who, yes, he had denied Jesus, but if we remember at the end of John's gospel, Peter had been restored. Peter had been the one who, who Jesus had said to him, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. It would have been easy to stand up and say, look at me. But he doesn't do that. Friends, true faith points lost people toward Jesus. So if your faith is not pointing people toward Jesus, it is not true faith. Because the true faith that Peter has, the true faith that John has here, is to point people toward Jesus. When they are lost, to tell them where they can be found, to tell the, the, the sheep where the shepherd is, this, is, this is Jesus, this is who you have killed, this is who you have crucified, this is the Holy One, the, the true God, this is the one who God has glorified. He points, him toward, points all of these men toward Jesus. Friends, when you look at your life and the way that you live out your faith, is it pointing people toward Jesus? Or is it pointing people to have their best life now? Is it pointing people to have their best stuff now? 
Telling them that, that they need to try to do everything they can to get ahead in life. Telling them as the, the charlatan prosperity gospel preachers do, if they'll just plant a seed in, in the ministry, then they'll somehow be blessed. I know none of you are out on television telling people plant seeds in the ministry, but, but is that how it, how it is? Is that what people would think? If, if they'll live life like you are, if they'll do the things you do, then, then they're going to have a good life. No, friends, if they'll follow Jesus, they'll have eternal life. And that is the radical difference between the way so many people live and the way Peter and John are living here. Their life pointed people toward Jesus. Their ability to make this man walk, to, to lift him up, allow him to be healed, to go in jumping around and celebrating and shouting and praising God, all of that came through their faith in Jesus, and they want other people to have that same faith. We've got to be cautious about what our lives are pointing people to. Are they pointing people to, to go get a good education and work really hard and marry the right person and you'll have a successful, happy life? Because there's plenty of well-educated people who have a lot of money, who love their spouse, love their kids, get along with the community, and are on their way straight to hell because they don't know Jesus. They're headed for an eternity separated from God. With all of the American dream intact in their life, but they don't know Jesus. Are we pointing people to have a better life now, a more, a more patriotic life now, or a more wealthy life now, or a more whatever it is, whatever those goals are that people have? Or are we pointing people toward Christ? Because it's through Him and Him alone that we have hope. They point toward Jesus. They say, Jesus has made this man well. Faith in His name has made this man strong. Faith is necessary. And that's what they point toward. And then finally, a fourth, fourth thing about the faith. True faith proclaims the need for repentance. True faith proclaims the need for repentance. Look what he says, verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. In other words, when you killed Jesus, he didn't believe that you knew exactly what you were doing. You didn't know exactly who Jesus was. This, this is easy, I think, for Peter to say, because Peter often struggled to know exactly what was going on. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And look what he says, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. He says, you did this, your leaders did this, and you're responsible for this. But God knew what he was doing. God knew exactly what he was doing. God knew what he was sending his son to do. And while you are responsible for your sin, God is calling upon you now to repent and turn back 
to repent of your sin and turn back to God that your sins may be blotted out. Moses had told them that a prophet was coming and they must listen to him. And those who do not listen to the prophet will be destroyed from among the people. But God has raised up his servant. He has raised up Jesus and sent him to you, talking about the people of Israel, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Friends, this term repentance is much needed in the time in which we live. This term repentance is one that cannot be lost on the church in 2020, though it has been lost in many places that calls itself churches. Friends, if there is no repentance, if there's no need for repentance, then each and every one of us is wasting our time this morning. If God is going to save everyone regardless of what they do, then why should we ever live in accordance with what God has said? If God is going to to just forgive everybody because He's a nice guy and He would never hold anybody's sin against them, then all of this is completely worthless and a waste of time. But it it also means that our God is not just. It also means that our God is not good. It also means that our God is not perfect. Because if our God is good, and He is just, and He is perfect, then He cannot have anything to do with our sin and disobedience and our wickedness. We look at ourselves often as basically good people. The world understands humanity at its core as basically good. And yet the Bible presents that at our core, we are fundamentally wicked. And friends, if you spend any time alone with yourself, you know that is the case. If you think about the the desires of your heart, the thoughts of your mind, do you understand that the thoughts of our mind, the desires of our heart, do not reflect a good God at all? It is only through God empowering us through His Spirit to live a life that is dedicated and consecrated to Him can we live any type of holy life whatsoever. Could you imagine... Could you imagine what life would be like without the common grace that God provides to all people? If there was no God, if God really took his hand off of our world, we think about how bad it is. Imagine how bad it could be. And friends, if God was not present, it would be infinitely worse. And so because our God is just and our God is good, God has demanded of all people that they repent of their sin. He will not repent for you because he has not committed those sins. He has provided a sacrifice for you to be covered of your sin, for your sins to be blotted out, as Peter talks about here in verse 19, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. But friends, if we do not call on people to repent of their sin, then they have no hope. And friends, sin cannot be dealt with through any other manner than repentance. It doesn't mean that that when sin is present in our life, we may not need help. We may not need counseling. We may not need some type of therapy. Friends, all of those things are valid and good, but in the end, none of those things are repentance. We must call on people to repent. 
And because the church has gotten soft on sin, people are not repenting of their sin. They, they may come to church and they may be a part of it, but they're, they're told that everything they're doing is okay, and that is not true. People need repentance. Every person, everywhere, needs to repent of their sin, to turn to God, to believe the good news of Christ. It doesn't matter if they're young or old. It doesn't matter their race. It doesn't matter their nationality. They need repentance of sin. And without it, they have no relationship with God. They may be the nicest of people that we perceive. They may be the type of person we would want to be our neighbor. The type of person that we'd want to be in our family. The type of person that we would want to work with. But friends, without repentance, they're not the type of person who will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Because it's only through repentance that people can know the Lord. And so, if we are going to have true faith, we are going to proclaim the need for repentance. And what I'm saying by that is, if you're not, if you don't believe people need to repent, first you need to repent. Because God has said, repent. Jesus said, repent. Peter here is telling the people to repent. If you do not believe that people need to repent of their sin, you have a problem with sin in your life that is keeping you from a relationship with Christ. Because when we have repented of our sin, we know that we have daily need of repentance. When Christ has changed us, when the Spirit of God dwells within us, we realize daily that we need to repent of our sin. We need to turn from it. We need to believe the gospel. Friends, we do not have true faith if we have faith without repentance. You might have religion, you might have church membership. You certainly do not have faith. And you certainly do not have faith if you do not also believe that other people need to repent. And you're saying, Pastor, which, which sins rise to the level of needing repentance? Every single one. You say, well, that was just a, a, little, a little white lie. That was just a, a little glance. That was just a small thought. Friends, it was a single sin. Eating from one tree that plunged creation into darkness. If that sin required repentance, then the evil desires of our heart, the wicked thoughts, the sinful actions all need repentance. Friends, once is not enough. You say, I repented when I was five of my sin and Jesus has covered that sin. And yet, friends, the desire of your heart should be to repent daily. Because we are daily mired in sin. Daily struggling against the wicked one. Daily struggling against our enemy. And we need repentance because we are not always successful. And so we repent because we have been covered by the blood of Christ. Because we know better. Remember, he says of them, you were in ignorance. I believe, I know, verse 17, you acted in ignorance. But friends, we today, 2020, in this building, we do not act in ignorance. We know what God has demanded of us. 
And so it is vital we repent. But friends, it's also vital that you believe your neighbor needs to repent. Because your faith is incomplete if repentance is for you and not for them. Because then you are fine with them going to hell in their sin. Friends, it's not going to be socially acceptable in the days going forward for for the church to tell people who are caught in homosexuality they need to repent, and yet they do. For us to tell the drug addict and the drunkard they need to repent, and yet they do. For the person who believes himself to be another gender. Friends, I'm not saying they don't have some type of, of mental problem going on, that there's not something where sin has corrupted their mind, but, but part of that is repentance. For the person who's unfaithful to their spouse to repent. For the person who shows hatred to repent. All of that is going to be unpopular because it's going to be justified. Our society has said it's okay, and yet God's Word has said it is wrong. It is against His law, and therefore the response, the only response that reconciles a person to God is repentance. And friends, when we say they don't need to repent of their sin, we are being satisfied with them dying and going to hell. And the sad part is there are churches this morning who are accumulated for themselves an entire room of sinners. Sinners who desperately need Christ. And someone will stand over them, probably with a book like this opened in front of them, and tell them that they are okay. And the sad part is they'll walk out feeling justified in their sin, and yet never reconciled to God. Friends, let that never be said of us because true faith, true faith proclaims the need for repentance. So here's the challenge this morning. Will you demonstrate true faith to a world that is waiting for it and rarely sees it? Rarely sees true faith. The people you work with, rarely see true faith. The people you go to school with rarely see true faith. When they turn on the television, they rarely, if never, see true faith. The world is accustomed to fake faith. They are. We're a caricature of fake faith. The world is is accustomed to seeing it all the time. But they have never seen or rarely seen true faith. They've seen a faith that that is engaged with money. They see a faith that is engaged with with worldly possessions. They see a a faith that is self-seeking. Please give me more spotlight. That's what the world sees as faith for many religious leaders. But we are called to demonstrate saving faith. Faith that calls people to repentance. Faith that can save. That is what is proclaimed here. That is what is proclaimed in chapter 3 of the book of Acts. Faith that can save. Turn from your sin, even in your ignorance, not knowing what you are doing. Return to Christ. Turn from your sin. Believe the gospel. Repent of your wicked ways so that your sins may be blotted out. Friends, that's what our world needs to hear today. And when they hear it, they're going to think that it is absolutely crazy. That we are vile, wicked people who just hate someone else. 
And yet I remember what an atheist said one time, a famous atheist. He was, somebody presented the gospel to him. He, he did not receive Christ, but he said, if you really believe that, like this man did, that, that I needed to turn from my sin. The atheist said this, if I, if I really need to turn from my sin, if I really need to believe this message, and you did not tell people that message, how much would you really hate them? Friends, these churches out there that post the messages on their signs about how affirming they are and loving they are, they hate, they hate homosexual people and transgender people and LGBTQ people infinitely more than you could ever imagine. When you say you love someone who's a drunk and then you buy them alcohol, you hate them. When someone's caught in sin and you tell them that it's okay, you hate them. Friends, let us be people that love. That love through compassion. Love through the joy that we have in our own life. But also love through honesty with people about their need for a Savior. Because if we affirm and have love toward, but never talk about the need of a Savior. We hate those people we are talking to. Friends, what does your faith look like? Is it demonstrated to a watching world? Is it true and fair and clear? Are you compassionate in what you're doing? That's exactly what Peter and John are doing. They're compassionate, but they are clear to the people who have gathered around. Repent of your sins so that your sins may be blotted out, so that you may be reconciled to Christ. We must demonstrate a saving faith that calls to repentance, a faith that can truly save. What does your faith look like? If it came under examination this morning, what would we find? Would you be looking out for yourself, going along with the world, doing the best you can to get ahead? Or would you be loving the world around you by demonstrating faith, by loving your neighbor, by showing them their need for a Savior? Will you demonstrate the faith that the world so rarely sees? Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you that you've, you've called us to be your people. You've called us to, to gather together in this place. You've called us to follow you. To worship you in spirit and in truth and to Proclaim your message to the ends of the earth. God, I pray that we would love people around us. We would love them by meeting the needs, by being with people in their time of distress and trouble. God, we would give them the best thing. We would never settle for just the good. but we would give them the very best by pointing them toward their need for a Savior. To being compassionate in their difficulty and compassionate as they struggle with the bondage of sin. 
But God, never settling. Never settling for anything other than the forgiveness that comes through repentance. The freedom that comes when your sins are blotted out. The assurance that you are with your children always. That we belong to you. That there's hope. God, I pray that we would never settle for less than hope. But we would live a life of true faith. Demonstrating. God, demonstrating your goodness toward us. God, I pray for each person here as you work in their heart through the power of your word. That you would help us to go from this place ready and willing, bold to share your good news. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me as we sing a, a final song this morning. Would you respond to God's word? Will you demonstrate true faith to a world that rarely sees it? That, that commitment, that challenge is as you go. But friends, maybe there's something you need to repent of this morning. Maybe you're not ready to go and show faith because you don't have faith and you need to come and follow Christ this morning. You've never done so and today is the day. Maybe, maybe you know there's sin in your life that would prevent you from, from living and demonstrating true faith. Maybe you need to come and repent. Maybe you need to pray where you are. Maybe you're not reconciled to someone and you need to, you need to find that person and ask for their forgiveness because you know until reconciliation happens, you're not ready to go and live the way God has called you to live. Friends, God's word is clear. How will you respond to it this morning as we sing? I'm glad you've come to worship this morning, and I hope that the Lord will take His Word and apply it to your heart as we go. That we have this great calling to demonstrate faith to people who desperately need it. And friends, you need to, to re realize that in our country, in our culture, this, this number 
of people who believe God's word is dwindling quickly. People are abandoning their faith. People are compromising the word. It's just rare. And if you live it out, it's going to be rare for people to see. And that's going to come with struggles. But friends, that's going to come with great joy too. Because people are searching. God has placed eternity in the heart of everyone. Even, even the person who stands up and says, there's nothing after this when I die. It's just darkness and it's all over. Friends, God has placed eternity in the hearts of people. And they're looking for answers. They're looking for truth in a world void of truth. And you and I not only know the truth of God's word, we know the truth, Jesus Christ, the one who gives salvation full and free to those who will follow him. And so let's go with that joy of knowing no matter what happens this week, I bet it's going to be a crazy week. I don't know if any of you would affirm that or not. No matter what happens this week, guess what? Jesus sits on his throne. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. He's got a perfect plan and a perfect will, and it's being accomplished among us. And we know no matter what happens this week, our calling has not changed. Our calling is to go into the world and make disciples. Our calling is to take the good news to people who are lost and dying. And friends, no matter what happens this week, the only thing that can save people is Jesus. And so let's go celebrating that, that we've got that good news and we've got that promise. It's secure because a lot of people today are worried and concerned. And friends, we've got hope. We also remember that they don't. And the only hope they're going to get is going to come from Jesus. So let's go and proclaim his message. I want to pray for us and we'll be dismissed this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for goodness and grace. Thank you that you love and care for us, that you've given us hope beyond measure. Help us to go now and demonstrate true faith to a world that rarely sees it, but desperately needs it. God, help us as we go. Help us to walk in your light, to shun the darkness, to repent of our sin, to daily be renewed in our belief of the gospel. Help us to go boldly with true faith. Help us go boldly proclaiming your word. And we do so in the name of Christ. Amen.